Thank you, guys. Well, today we begin a new series um, on the life of David. You didn't realize it last week at Mother's Day, but we actually started the series last week uh, by looking at the book of Ruth. Ruth tells the, it's kind of like a prelude to the story of David. The books of First and Second Samuel, we're going to spend the next many months of our time walking through and looking at David's life. Um, again, the book of Ruth uh, is... Ruth would be the great-grandmother of David, the great king of Israel. Um, Ruth had a son. Her son's name was Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And so that kind of began our journey into David's life and his story. Um, today we're going to pick up uh, the first mention of David in the book of 1 Samuel. It's halfway through the book, and that's at chapter 16. So 1 Samuel 16, if you have your Bibles, what's been taking place in the chapters leading up to chapter 16 is that Israel decided they wanted a king. And so God said, fine, we'll grant you a king. And so the guy that God designated, the person that God anointed, was a fellow named Saul. Saul was the king of Israel for a good bit of time. Saul began to become disobedient. He began to ignore God. He began to think that he didn't need God. Every, all this power kind of went to his head. And so God says, okay, well, that's fine. We'll start out and we'll get somebody new. And so that's where we pick up the story is the first mention of David here in the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 6 and 7. Here we go. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I just want to kind of dive in here to the first mention of David here in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's start there at chapter uh, 16, beginning at verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve? over Saul since I have rejected him. Again, Saul was the king of Israel at this time. He was the first king that Israel had ever had. Samuel is the prophet of God. He's the person that's been chosen by God to give spiritual leadership to the nation of Israel. And so Samuel, uh, God comes to him in a conversation and says, hey, look, Saul's got all this stuff going to his head. Uh, Saul's no longer somebody that we can rely on to be the king. And so it's time for us to find somebody new. So God tells Samuel, still in verse 1, to fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So this new king that's going to take Saul's place is going to come from the house and the line of Jesse. He's going to be the great-grandson of Ruth. Um, verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about me going to go anoint a new king, he's going to kill me. In other words, if Saul finds out, 
that I'm committing treason against him by anointing a new king over the land of Israel, of course, Saul's going to come after me. Saul's not going to just go along with that and say, well, okay, it's fine if you want to replace me. So, hey, God, I'm in a little bit of a pickle here. What do you want me to do? So God comes up with a disguise for how Samuel can have arrange this meeting with Jesse and disguise what it is that he's doing. Middle of verse 2, it says, And the Lord said, here's your excuse, take a heifer with you and say, I have come... Um, and uh, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse, verse 3, to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So this is God's plan that, hey, look, Samuel, you're supposed to take a heifer that is a sacrificial animal, and you're supposed to take this animal into town, and the people that are there, the guards, the men of Saul's kingdom or whatever, they're going to stop you, and they'll ask you, what are you doing? Why are you here? What's your business? And you're going to say, well, I brought a sacrificial animal with me. I'm a prophet of God. I'm going to make a sacrifice. That's what I do. And so they're going to say, oh, well, okay, that's fine. Come on in, take care of whatever it is that you need to take care of. No one will be the wiser. So Samuel goes, um, and to make this um, offering in Bethlehem, he invites Jesse to the uh, to the uh, to the sacrifice, and there he meets with Jesse, and, it, and everybody buys into the cover story. Verse 6, when Jesse and his boys come, Samuel looked on Eliab. Now, Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's sons, and it describes him there. It says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his outward appearance. Don't look at how he looks on the outside, uh, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. So we would imagine, based on these verses that are shared here about Eliab, that Eliab is a very impressive young man, or perhaps a little bit older, more mature man. Eliab is a guy who um, has, he's taller, he's a head above everybody else in Israel. And so because of this, he's a standout. And Samuel thinks to himself, when Eliab shows up, when he comes walking into the room, of, of course, this is the guy, right? Uh, he looks like he's the king. He looks like he plays the part. Perhaps he had hair like Mitt Romney. I mean, it was just, it, it was going to happen. It was just God ordained for him to happen. And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't look at the outward appearance. I don't look the way the world looks at people. I make my judgments on people based on what's on the inside, based on what's in their heart. And so Eliab, he's out. Well, hey, you got any other sons? Yeah, I got more sons. Look at verse uh, verse 8. He's got a second son named Abinadab. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And same thing, God says, neither, or Samuel says, neither has God chosen this guy either. So God spoke to Samuel. He said, Samuel, I'm sorry, but, uh, but Abinadab, he's a really nice guy, I'm sure, but uh, this is not the person that I've chosen to be the next king of Israel. Not that one either. And then Shammah comes out in the next verse, and he says, eh, sorry, he's out too. And it goes through seven sons of Jesse, and finally gets through all seven sons, and every one of them, he's just one after another saying, nope, not, not the guy, not the guy. And he's just rejecting one after another. And so finally, Samuel says, who else you got? Because there's nobody else there. There's nobody else in the line. Nobody else has come with him. And so finally, Jesse says, verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Did you bring everybody to the party? Jesse said, well, there's still one more. He's the youngest. Um, but listen, I mean, he's out keeping the sheep. He's, <laughs> we didn't even think about bringing him. I mean, he's not impressive. He's, he's you know. So anyhow, not somebody that's really cut out for this. He's just a teenager. And so Samuel says, Jesse, go get your son 
go get him fast, for we will not even sit down until he shows up, until he comes right here. So we're all going to remain standing. You go get him, you tell him to run to get himself up here. So um, Samuel's got a pretty good feeling about this other son of Jesse. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in, brought David in. And David, it says, this is the only description, physical description that we have of David in all the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not. But it says that he was ruddy in form or in figure. Um, and so some translations say that this word ruddy can be translated to say that he had red hair. It's like red hair and freckles. But can you imagine a red-haired and freckled Irish-Scottish-Israelite? I don't quite see that being what, what's going on here in this verse. Some translations have said that this means this word ruddy could be, could be understood to be uh, like small or scrawny, like he's a teenager, and so he just didn't have a lot of muscle on his body yet. His body hadn't developed. But again, I don't think that's really what the scriptures are saying here. So going back and doing a little bit of research on this word, I mean, as it's translated ruddy, it actually refers to his, it also can refer to his complexion, that he had a, a, a blushing face. Again, that is more fitting to a young teenager, right, who's just coming in off, who's just come running in from the, from the field. And so that's probably what we're referring to. It's just drawing on the fact that David was very young, that David was in his teenage years. Um, but it did say that he had beautiful eyes. You know, I have beautiful eyes. I mean, that's got to be our guy, right? But in any case, so you have beautiful eyes. It says he was handsome. And so the Lord said, arise and anoint David, for this is he. This is the one that I want to be king. Last verse, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, um, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Um, so we've got David. We've got this ruddy face, right? This, this blushing complexion young man who's, uh, who's still uh, in his teenager years. Again, his body's probably not put on all of its muscle. He wasn't very impressive in stature or anything like that. But yet this is the guy that God chooses to be the next king of Israel. Okay. That's our story for today. That's our treatment of this first story here in 1 Samuel. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask each week around here, the most important question, and that is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that's a really great story. I'm glad to know that God looks on the inside, not on the outside. He doesn't look at people the way and judge people the way the world judges people. That's really great. I won't spend so much money at the hair salon anymore. So, I mean, let's say, amen, get out of here. What difference does any of this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let's see if we can spend a little bit of time answering that. Again, the point that God makes here in verse 7 is that he judges people. He makes a judgment about people on a different basis than perhaps the world, the rest of the world does. Some of you perhaps got up yesterday morning and watched the wedding. Mm -hmm. You can admit it. It's okay. And, and uh, so, so Harry was there, and he, he was getting married to the new princess, and uh, everyone was all decked out in their nice, finest clothes. The queen looked the part. Everything, everybody looked very formal, um, very stoic. Um, and so uh, it was just a beautiful service and a beautiful ceremony and a beautiful setting. Again, this is what the world sees and the world judges and says, hey, look, this is somebody of importance. This is somebody that we need to uh, consider their thoughts and their opinions. But the Bible says that's not how God judges. God doesn't judge on the prettiness of a girl's dress. God judges on our heart. That's the, judge, that's the basis on which God uh, evaluates us and people. And so the point is here that David was chosen by God. He had an older brother who very much looked the part. He's, the Bible says he was, had a 
uh, he was very tall, he was handsome, he, he, as soon as he walked in the room, right, he had that, the flowing locks or whatever it was that was going on that made Samuel say, oh, by all means, this has got to be the guy that's going to replace Saul. But God said, no, I, I look beyond that stuff. That's not the basis upon which I make my judgments of people, the basis upon which I make my judgments of somebody's qualifications. Rather, I look on the inside of them. I look at their heart. And so what I'd like to do in the time that I have left is to consider what was it on the inside of David that made God think, this is somebody I can use. What was it on the inside of David? What was inside of his heart? What was the quality of this man's character that so impressed God that said, when he walked in the room, that is the guy? He had seven other choices, but he settled on David. Let's, um, let's take a look at, uh, at this. So first qualification, if you would, of what's on the inside of David is that David had, was a person of deep spirituality. So the first trait that, allowed, that God said, hey, look, this is somebody that I can use, is that David was a person of deep spirituality. Think about it for a moment. David wrote the 23rd Psalm. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in, in, still, in the green pastures and leaves me beside quiet waters, right? Don't ask me to quote the whole thing. But in any case, it's a beautiful psalm. It's been comforting people for many, many centuries, for 3,000 years now since David had written that. I mean, anybody who would write the 23rd Psalm had to walk closely with God. That had to be somebody who had an intimate walk with the Lord. David had a deep spiritual life, a deep, intimate connection with God. On two separate occasions, God calls David, the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. David's the only person in all of Scripture who was given that designation, who was described that way. And he was a man after God's own heart. On two different occasions, the Bible refers to David this way. Friends, David was a person who had a deep spirituality, had a deep connection to the Lord Jesus. Um, The second trait of David that impressed God is that David was a person of humility. David was a person of of humility. What happened right after David, if you continue reading in chapter 16, what happened to David right after um, he gets anointed with this oil? I mean, they have this little ceremony, this little service there where David is the centerpiece of what's going on. David understands what's happening to him. He gets up from this anointing and he says, all right, that was really great. I appreciate y'all doing that. Um, Are we finished here? Because I've got some sheep I need to go tend. That's what happens next in the chapter. David goes back out to the pasture. Uh, you would say, well, I would thought David's first thing would have been to go down to the UPS store and get some new business cards made up and have that word shepherd stricken out of it and put king of Israel, right? And we're going to pass these out around town and we're going to let everybody know that, hey, I'm the new guy in town. No, that's not what David did because David was a person of deep humility. David was a person who wasn't looking for public accolades. David wasn't looking for his name in the paper. He wasn't looking for his name in lights. David was a person who had a deep sense of of humility. Friends, God doesn't need big shots. God just needs ordinary people who have a deep sense of of spirituality and a deep sense of humility. A A third trait that allowed God to pick him, to pick David out and to use him is that David was a person of deep conviction. David was the kind of person who believed in something strongly enough that he was willing to take a stand for it. David was the kind of person who was believed in something strongly enough that he was willing to take a stand for it. You know, thank God that David was not politically correct. 
For example, when David walks out onto the battlefield and the Philistines are there and they're warring against the Israelites, there's this big giant on the other side. We'll get to him in a couple of weeks. This big giant out there on the battlefield, and David wants to uh, is bringing his brothers some morning cheese, right, so that they can feed his brothers that are getting ready to go into this battle against the Philistines. And so Goliath walks out and he's taunting. He's doing his morning taunt. He comes out and he taunts the, the people of Israel, this big tall guy and they're all cowering on the other side they're all cowering on the Israelite side of things and so David looks around and he says who is this guy right what's his response he says who is this uncircumcised Philistine that you stand that you let him stand over there and make fun of the armies of God somebody ought to go over there and cut his head off and all the soldiers said we like David we vote for David right and they really loved David and so um Again, not only did David have the conviction to say, this is wrong, this should not be, this guy should not be allowed to talk about the people of Israel and the armies of God this way, shouldn't be able to allowed to be able to talk about the God of the universe this way, such that not only would he be willing to say, this is wrong, but he was also had the courage to stand up and do something about it, and David did. Fourth characteristic that David had that allowed God to use him, that made God want to pick him out of, those, of his brothers, is that David was a person of integrity and honor. He was a person of integrity and honor. You know, early in David's life, he had an opportunity to kill Saul. And if he had killed Saul, David would have immediately become the new king. Um, and so I'll share with you one of those, for instance, one of those times in 1 Samuel chapter 26, Daniel, or, or David and um, Abishai, one of his generals, had snuck down into the into the, the army of Saul, where Saul was camped out in the middle of them during the night, had gotten inside of Saul's tent, and Saul's laying there on the ground sleeping, and Abishai says, here's our chance. He's been chasing you around the desert now for many years, and we can eliminate him right now. He says to him, 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 8, Abishai says, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Here he is, he's laying on the ground, he's sleeping, David. We can strike him down. He says, please let me pin him to the ground. I won't need to do it twice. I'll get him the first time. And so David says, no, this is God's issue to sort out. Verse 10, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike down Saul. It's not by my hand that Saul is going to perish. Verse 11, he says, the Lord forbid that I should put my hand against his anointed. In other words, God chose Saul. God installed him. It's not for me to decide when Saul's time is up. Let him die of a heart attack. Let him die in battle. Let him die of some other natural cause. But it's not going to be me in cold-blooded murder pinning this guy to the ground just so that I can get to the throne more quickly. And David wouldn't allow Abishai to touch him. No matter how badly David wanted to be king. Um, fifth and finally, David knew what it meant to trust God. He knew what it meant to trust God. Did you hear what David said there? He said, look, Abishai, when God is ready to depose Saul, that'll be when I become king. But not a moment before. When God is ready. And David trusted in God's timing. He waited in God's timing. Friends, one of the marks of maturity in our Christian walk is our ability to wait on the Lord. Boy, we really want to fix now. We really need things fixed now. But friends, in God's timing, when he's ready, 
because stuff's going to come, right? Bad things are going to happen in life. Crises are going to bubble to the surface. And it's in those moments, like David did, are we willing to wait on God's timing or are we going to put our hand to it and try and force things through? But David trusted in the Lord. Five things that made David a person of depth on the inside. Number one, he was a man with a deep personal relationship with God. There was no rival to God in his life. Number two, he was a man of deep humility who saw his role in the world as that of a servant. Number three, he was a person with some conviction. He was willing to take a stand for those convictions. Number four, he was a person of integrity and honor. And number five, he was a person who knew how to trust and wait on the Lord. In terms of his stature, he may have been ruddy in his face. He may have been just a blushing teenager. But the Lord said, this is the person whom I've chosen. He may not be all that impressive on the outside yet, but he's a giant on the inside. And that's what God wants for you and I, friends, is that God doesn't care what we look like on the outside, but God looks at the heart and that we become people of godly character. God will use us beyond our wildest dreams if we'll be those kinds of people. You say, well, Gordon, I got one more question for you. Sure, fire away. My question is, how do I get to become a person like that? I mean, that was David, right? That was King David. Surely that's what God intended for David, but I don't know that God really intends for me to be that way. Well, sure he does. Sure he does. And I got three really quick things, and then we're going to be done. We're going to be out of here. Um, on how we can become a person like David. Number one is, you have to aspire for it. You have to see the vision of who God wants you to be, and you have to want to be that way. you got to have it in your heart to say, God, I, I don't want to just be the way I've always been. I want for you to make some inside changes. And God, I want to see that person that David was. I want to see that person that's Christ-like, and I want to have more of those traits. I want to have more of that quality in my own self. You have to aspire for it. A second part, a second step that you need to take is one, you need to pray to the Holy Spirit to make that change in your life. Friends, this is, an, this is a transformation of the old person that you were into a new person. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, you know, the old person that I, no, he said that over in uh, 1 Corinthians, but in any case, in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's now Christ who lives in me. Paul has been totally transformed. He's no longer like he used to be. He's now taken on the person of Jesus Christ. He's become Christ-like. And these same characteristics are what flowed through David's life. And so you have to ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in you, friends. You can't be more nice by just trying to be nice. You can't be more kind and patient and in self-control by just trying to gut it out and make that happen. That's part of the problem with our living out of the Christian life is we rely on our own resources. We start by relying on Christ. We start entering into a relationship with Jesus by trusting in the work that Jesus did on the cross, but then we go live in the rest of the Christian life by trying to gut it out and trying to just be more like Jesus. And then we get to the other side, or to the end of life, and we say, okay, I trust Jesus again for heaven. Friends, that's not the way God set this thing up. He set this thing up for us to start by trusting in Jesus, for us to live our lives by trusting in Jesus, and by relying on him at the end of our life, trusting in Jesus for eternal life in heaven. 
So we have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do this work in us. And then third and finally, is that we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. You know, where are you going to learn to be a person like this? Where are you going to learn to trust in God this way and to be patient and to wait on Him this way? Well, you're going to learn it from reading the Word of God. Where are you going to learn to change your worldview and change your values such that they match up with the person that God wants for you to be? Friends, you're going to learn it by reading the Word of God. The Lord God gave us this. This is God's truth in written form. This is where you're going to find out about that stuff. Where are you going to learn to be the kind of person who, um, who is who's given their life into a deep spirituality and who's trusting in God and seeking after God? Friends, you're going to learn that by reading about the people who did it themselves in the Word of God. Friends, you and I cannot become the people that David was on the inside without the Word of God. It reboots the software of our mind. It transforms and shapes our perspectives. You say, Gordon, that all sounds really simple. I mean, is it really that simple? Well, why would God want to make it hard? Doesn't God want for us to be this way? Doesn't God want for us to take on these qualities that David had? Friends, the way that we get there is not by aspiring what the world says we ought to pursue, but to aspire, to aspire for these qualities, these characteristics that were in David. We don't have to go sit out on a hillside like David did in order to find these qualities, but you do have to aspire for them. You do have to trust God for them, and you do have to be in the Word of God. What does God want for your life? God wants for you to glorify Him with your life, and He will. And you don't have to be a big shot in order for that to happen. Just plain, ordinary, you and me will do. But friends, when the power of the Holy Spirit takes a hold of your life and begins to transform who you are on the inside where it really matters, then the substance of your life and the impact of your life magnify tenfold. God will use you, friends, the way God used David. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for talking to us today from your word. We thank you for a fresh vision of who you want for us to be, of the kinds of qualities and character traits, Father, that you are looking for in our lives. Lord, we pray that as these, this vision of the person you want us to be is set before us, that your Holy Spirit would begin to work and move within our heart, move within our life, causing that transformation, that change to take place. Lord, as we turn to this table now to remember your broken body and your shed blood, we recognize that the way to bless the world, the way to be a blessing to those around us is not by trying to get our name in lights, but Lord, it's by laying down our life for others. God, we ask that, uh, again, you would just stir in our hearts this morning that you would draw us close into your side. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.